At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. I chose the, the text, Luke chapter 10, verse 21 through 24, because it, it has some very interesting things in it. Of course, everything in the New Testament is so interesting. And this text is so, so interesting to me because it, it indicates a couple of things. First of all, it tells us that Jesus said that, that uh, he was thanking the Father. He was praying to the Father. And he said, I thank you, Lord, that, that you have uh, revealed some things to somebody and you have hidden these things for, to somebody else. You've hidden these from the wise and prudent and reveal them unto babes. And then he said that all things are delivered me of my Father, and uh, no man knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. So basically, in this statement, Jesus is indicating that he has some very important things to say and things to learn from what he's going to say some are going to understand it, and some are not. And he indicates that the wise and prudent will not understand, but that the innocent and what he calls babes, the unprejudiced, are, are going to understand what he's called in the rest of the New Testament a mystery. So basically what he's talking about is that God has some important things to say to us, Concerning our destination, our relationship with Him, how we're to behave ourselves, what we're to do, what sort of happiness can flood into our lives, all of these things, he said. And he said, the wise and prudent just don't get it. But the babes, they get it. Now, Jesus told His disciples or apostles that they were going to be privileged to hear things that God had revealed in the Old Testament prophets, but clothe them in, in a shroud of mystery. So all the Old Testament prophets, beginning back with uh, Moses, forward to the time of Jesus, in, over a span of about 1,200 years, God had been saying things that he's now going to explain. And he says, the wise guys are not going to get it. But the innocent ones are going to get it. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16 and 17, he tells the apostles again, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard. And he said on another occasion in Luke chapter 12, just a couple of chapters past our Luke 10, he says that, there, that there's going to be nothing covered. I'm not going to leave anything covered. So when the Bible talks about a mystery, just understand this. That when it's all said and done, and when you read it and you get all done reading it, you're going to get it all. 
Now, if you don't get it, you may fall into that category of wise and prudent. If you do get it, you're probably one of the babes that starts out and says, okay, my heart's open. Tell me, Lord, what will you have me to do? Well, he says there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. There's nothing in the dark closet that will not come out. And he said, whatever you hear in the closet, shout on the rooftops. He said, tell everything. So he's not going to hide anything from us. That, that should uh, key us to, to sometimes we hear people talking about having mysteries that are still there. and There's things in the New Testament that we just can't get. That's not true. He said there's nothing covered, nothing hidden that will not be revealed. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and 26, it says, To him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. That is, we're going to reveal the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for obedience of faith. Okay. What he's saying at this point is that we're going to lay it all out. You can understand. What does God have in mind? God is is a creator. He has something in mind. He wanted to accomplish something. And we know what that was. He wants us to get back together with Him. He wants us to bless our lives, to make us better people, to improve our station in life. He wants to make us like His Son. He wants to to make promises to us. He wants to tell us that there are more good things coming after a while. And that if you get rid of things in your life that I'm telling you to get rid of, everything will be better. So he's got all these things, all this in a package, and he's saying, I I have all this for you. And in the Old Testament, it was in a mystery. It's like getting a Christmas present, I guess. You shake the box, but you really can't tell what's in it. And sometimes your parents give you one something that you can shake that leads you off course. Well, shaking the box in the Old Testament didn't produce the information they needed. So he said, I've, I've enshrouded everything, everything I have for you. I've put it in a mystery. And now then, I'm going to open it up. And who's going to get it? Well, he said, babes. I, Jesus said, I, 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 I praise you, God, because you've shown this to babes, to little ones. Now, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. He said, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But in us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So we're starting to get some keys as to why you don't get it if you don't get it. After that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. All right. Again, he makes mention of the fact that there's some that are not going to comprehend it, because they're called the wise and the prudent. The wise of this world. Now understand this. 
in the New Testament, nowhere in the New Testament are you going to find that Jesus is saying, don't get smart. You're not going to say that. Neither are the apostles. They're not going to say, if you, if you, if you get knowledge, just eliminate that knowledge. Don't think about it. What we want is a bunch of dumb followers. He's not saying that. That's not as all, all what he was referring to. As a matter of fact, he tells us, he counsels us, as you recall, in Matthew chapter 7 when he's talking about someone building his house on a rock. You know what he calls him? The wise man. So he's smart. He's a wise man. And he's saying, that's good. And the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when we're told that we need to get a little more wisdom, you know what he tells us to do? Pray for it. James chapter 1 verse 5. Pray for it, and God will give it to you. He'll grant it to you. So he's not arguing against wisdom, per se. He, he's not saying, don't, don't get smart. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 17, he says, Be not unwise, but understanding the will of the, of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And in Romans chapter 11, 25, he says, Don't be ignorant of this, wisdom, of this mystery, lest we be wise. And here's the kicker, lest we be wise in our own conceits. Oh. So here's here's why you're not here's how you're not supposed to be wise. Matter of fact, he says in Romans chapter twelve, verse sixteen, be not wise in your own conceits. So it's possible that we can get smarter than we should be. You you probably heard this when you're a child. Your mother, because you got out of control and decided you knew better than she did. She may have called you a smarty pants. And maybe you're outgrowing your britches. Getting so smart, you're outgrowing your britches. So Jesus is not saying don't get smart. He's not saying that Christianity and faith is for the dumb guy. He's saying that you can be smart in the right way and you can be smart in the wrong way. The right way is to follow after the counsels of God, of course, and to make sure that what you're doing and saying is in accord with good ethical principles, moral principles. You, you need to be wise, he said, but not, not wise in your own conceits. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus was telling us that he was going to open an avenue to the mysteries of God so that babes could absorb it and understand it, and the wise and prudent were going to miss it. So he's going to open that avenue, and he's going to say, some of you will get it, and some of you won't. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 8 says, A highway shall there be, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, they shall not err therein. So it's going to be plain enough and simple enough that even the babe can understand it. But in such, it's encased in, in, in such a package that the wise and prudent are not going to get it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and here's where, we, here's where we have to go with this, because the information that he's going to give wasn't just while he was on this earth. So while Jesus was talking to his apostles and giving them instruction and opening their eyes and their ears, while at the same time shutting eyes and ears of others, while he was here, they had access to that information of, of his. We'll, we'll note that in a little bit. But, but with us, how do we get it? Well, thank God that he decided that he was going to put it down in a permanent form. 
So that if I want to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God and the mysteries of God and the wisdom of God, all I have to do is open this book and read it. Because, and in particular, the New Testament. The New Testament explains the Old Testament. The Old Testament does not explain the New. The Old Testament is the mystery enshrouded, wrapped up. The New Testament is the unwrapping of the package and you can see. Now, it's written down for us and it has been preserved for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 9, and this is why it's important for us to read the New Testament. To read it. Not peruse it. Not glance over it. Not rush through it. Not just read a couple of chapters a day to make sure that you can get them all in over the year. But it's to absorb it. To get the information. Get the knowledge. Because that knowledge, my friend, in the New Testament is exactly what God intends for us to have to spring into life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 9 says, It is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Neither the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, or spiritual things with spiritual words. The Holy Spirit revealed the mystery of God. So the Holy Spirit was telling us what God has in mind. You say, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what I say? Read your Bible. Read the New Testament. Because the New Testament tells us what to do. Well, if you, you say, well, uh, I, I, I'm not sure I want that. But that's the only, only thing we're going to get. Now, the revelation was collected and written in the books of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3 at verse 3 says, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay. Here's what we've laid out. We said in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, I've, I've got some things to say that nobody on this earth has ever understood. Ever. Never understood. And I'm going to hide this from the wise and prudent, and I'm going to show it to babes. And then the apostles came along and said, well, we got it, Lord, and we're telling people about it. And, we're, and as a matter of fact, not only are we telling them by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we've written it down so that generations later, 2020, you can pick up your New Testament and you can read about the revelation of the mystery of God from the Old Testament, from the time of ages, from before the world began. God had all these things in mind for you. And the apostles told the, the people about it while they were alive by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then they wrote them down and said, okay, here it is in permanent form. Now read it. You've got it. That's why it's important. But let's return to that phrase. You have hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. That remark is tied to a statement made in Habakkuk chapter 1 
and at verse 5. And before I get there, let me remind you of something, or at least tell you something. You may not know it. In the Old Testament, when God provided a prophecy, that is something that spoke about an event that had not taken place yet, or something that was going to take place immediately or later, it was written in two different forms, or in one form that had two different meanings. That's interesting about the Old Testament. One form in the prophecy had an immediate impact and an immediate application. In other words, when the prophet said something, they could look around them and say, oh, I see, this is what this means. And then it had a future application. So you had the immediate application and the future application. It was the future application they couldn't get. Because God said, I've, I've got this hidden. I'll show it later. Right now, you just shake the package. But later on, we'll open it up and show you what it is. Okay. Habakkuk 1 at verse 5 says, Behold, and he's talking about people who are about to go into Chaldean captivity. They're about, about to be taken into captivity to Babylon. And he uses a word that people, as they're reading this, it may just gone clear over their head. He was talking to the nation of Israel, his chosen people. Now you'd think, okay, whatever he has to say, he can say it to us because we are special. We are his chosen people. We're the ones he selected out of all the world. We're it. But listen, listen what he says. He said, behold you among the heathen, among the heathen. That, that's the word nations. You among the nations. And regard and wander marvelously, for I'll work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. So now he's bringing other people into this arena, the nations. Israel didn't think they had other people were involved in what was going on. But basically God is saying, I'm going to put this in this package and you can't see it. But he's telling them, I'm going to work something, I'm going to work a wander, you won't believe. You won't get it. The fact is that God was going to make plain declarative statements in language easily comprehended by ordinary individuals whom he called babes, but which the erudite and the intellectual whom he called wise and prudent will be unable to grasp. This, there's a simple principle in teaching, and I'll just call that your attention. And it has to do with passing along information that says you start with the basics and work up. Is that correct? If you're going to teach applied mathematics, you start with math, basic math. One and one equals two, and two and two equals four, and so forth. Until you get into algorithms, algorithms and so forth that have to do with advanced mathematic problems. But you start with the basics. You work up the more, to the more difficult. However, you never abandon the basics. You never get away from the basics. If you get away from the basics, you take the foundation of your premises away. So, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 says, When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. This works, starting with the simple, working up to the erudite 
and the complicated, this works. Unless you decide that the simple doesn't apply to you. Unless you decide, hey, I, I know this. Don't, you, don't, you don't have to be telling me this. I understand this. Matter of fact, I, I already went over it and I reject it. I don't, I don't believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm, I'm not a simpleton. I don't have to get basic information. I know, I know what's going on. And so what happens is that people, in trying to build up knowledge, and there is a principle that says knowledge equals power. So the more you know, the more powerful you are. But that also can bleed over into pride, can it? Intellectual elitism. All of a sudden, I know more than you do, and you can't tell me anything. You can't teach me a thing, because I know it all. Well, that, that could happen. And First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, with that principle out of, out of the way, Jesus was addressing people who were intellectual snobs, basically. And they were not going to get it. They were not even going to consider it. They already, knew the, they already knew what they wanted to know, and they didn't want to know anything else. Now, you understand, I think you can understand why you can say they closed their ears and shut their eyes. You can't see. When you reach that point that you, you're too smart and you don't need to be told anything, and you can't be taught anything, you're not going to be. But what he's talking about, and what I want to get to is this, that his mystery, his mystery was wrapped up and encased in one individual. The package we're talking about that God sent down here that was in a mystery, enshrouded in a mystery, and in that small dynamic package was Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, everything is in Jesus. I mean everything. Everything is in Him. Now, how can that be? If people are going to ask that question. People are going to say, well, that's, that doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. That He can put everything, everything that heaven wants, everything that heaven can do, everything that all the power that God has, He's going to put this in a man, one man, and He's going to call His name Jesus. That's what he's going to do. 1 Corinthians 1 at verse 24 says, Christ, we skip over this sometimes, Christ, the power of God. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about the creator of this universe. And we're talking about the creator of this universe being in an individual, a person that was here walking among them, that was talking to them, that they could see with their eyes, they could hear His voice. But that was, in fact, God, and that was the power of God, and He was the wisdom of God. Okay. Revelation chapter 1 at verse 8, John, as he's talking about the, the coming revelation in his book, talks about Jesus, and he portrays Jesus as saying this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm telling you, my friend, if someone were to come up to you and stand and look you in the face and say, I am the Alpha 
and the Omega. What would your impression be? What kind of impression would that make? I had a professor in college that used the term I am. He said, I am. And I said, no, you're not. But he said he was. Jesus was the great I am. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What else did he say? I started it all and I'm going to end it all. I am the beginning and the end, says the Lord, which is and was and is to come, the Almighty. My goodness. Okay. Jesus unveiled the greatest mystery the earth has ever been been aware of to the believing hearts who saw the wonders of God. Now consider the impact that this must have had on those who were in His presence and in us as we read the words of the Gospel. Now, what I want you to do is try to try to replicate with me this morning. Try to replicate the feeling that these people had in the presence of Jesus. Common, ordinary guy. Someone who had the same dust on his sandals that you've got on your sandals. Let's go back there together. Let's go back. Let's walk with him. Let's follow him around. Okay. Let's go up on the mountain. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain apart. Peter, James, and John. Okay. I'm going to be James. You be John. And here's Peter over here. You're Peter, as a matter of fact. You're Peter. And so here we are up on the mountain with Jesus. And we're a little sleepy for some reason. A little, little sleepy. And Peter, you, you go to sleep. You kind of doze off. And when you wake up, you know what? You see Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Now, I ask you the question, Peter. How do you, how do you know that was Moses and Elijah? How did you know who that was? Was it what they were wearing? Did Moses wear a certain sort of a tunic? What, what were they wearing? Well, who knows? Well, we know Elijah has a, had a mantle, had a cloak that he carried around, because he gave it to his protege who came along, Elisha. But we, we know that. But how would Peter, how would you, Peter, how would you know that this was Moses and Elijah? How would you get that? You know, I don't know, but, but you, did, you did figure it out. You figured it out. It's Moses and Elijah. Moses represented, we know Moses represented the law because he was a lawgiver. And Elijah represented the prophets because he was a prophet. So you're looking, Peter, you're looking at Jesus talking to the law and the prophets. And what comes into your head? I better do something. I better suggest something. We can't just leave the air Blank, we've got to fill it up with some words. We've got to say something. So you say, you say, well, this is so overwhelming to me. Uh, why don't we build some, build some tabernacles, build some buildings so that Moses, you can have one, Elijah, you can have one, and Jesus, you can have one. And when people want to come see you, they'll come to these tabernacles. That's a good idea, Peter. Good idea, good thought. You know what? The voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. My beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen 
to him. Don't listen to the law. Don't listen to prophets. Listen to my son. Now, at that point, Peter, you're going to you're going to be astounded. This is he's he's saying, this is my son. That's the God of heaven saying, this is my son. Sometimes we we find ourselves in a situation where we meet some famous people, don't we? We run across famous people. Sometimes we shake their hands before COVID nineteen. We could shake hands. You shook the hands. So someone comes along and says, you know what? I knew so-and-so. Ronald Reagan, let's say. I knew I knew uh, Pete Rose, the baseball player. I knew Brett Favre. I knew, I knew all these guys. We, we actually talked and got acquainted and kind of knew each other. It, it was a situation where Peter's saying, who is this? And the answer is, he is the Son of God. He's not just an athlete, star athlete. He's not a political figure. He's not a king. He's not a prince. He's not the descendant of the, some royal house. He is the Son of God. That had to stun him. That stuns me. He's the Son of God. He's the descendant of God. So that's a mystery. How could that be? Well, it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that the Spirit of God confesses that Jesus is the Christ, and the Spirit of this world denies it. So what do we have? We have the wise guy saying, that can't be. It just cannot be that you have the Son of God in a body, in the flesh, He's got dust on his sandals like I've got dust on my sandals. He's got dirt in his hair just like I have dirt in my hair. And his clothes are just as dirty as my clothes. And he's just as hungry as I am. And you're telling me that this is the Son of God? He's royalty? King of kings, Lord of lords, the majesty on high? You're telling me that? And yes, that's what he was telling you. That had to be a wonder. And then, let's go someplace else. Let's go with Jesus. Let's, let's say we're the 12 apostles. We're all, we're, there are 12 of us together, including Judas Iscariot. Now, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and Jesus has been telling us, you know, there's going to be some problems in Jerusalem. I'm on the way to Jerusalem, and they're going to take me. He calls himself the Son of Man. They're going to take the Son of Man. They're going to scourge him. They're going to interrogate him. They're going to put him to death. And then later on, he, he says that three times. And the last time he tells them, he says, he said, they're going to they're kill me at Jerusalem. And at this point, in the book of John, in chapter 14, he's gathered with us, the 12 of us, and he, he's telling us, I, I, we're going to Jerusalem. And what we're thinking is, that's a dangerous place to go. It's like going downtown Seattle during the riots. Downtown Portland during the rites. He's saying, let's go to Jerusalem. These guys are saying, you know, that's a dangerous place to be. I would be. I, that's what I'd say. Wouldn't you? Well, so what I need is some reassurance. I, I need some assurance that it's okay if we go together. But he's telling me that it's not going to work out well for him. 
But at the same time, he's also telling me that that things will be better. And so what I want to know is, is there somebody else involved in this with you? So Philip, what you're going to say is, you know, if we're going to go, show us the Father. Show us the Father. What, what he's wanting was, somebody has to go with us. And you know who we want to go with us? We want God. He said, where we're going, show us the Father. That's what you said. So you're Philip. I'm Judas Iscariot or Peter or whatever. We're, we're one of the apostles. We're, we're with Philip. Philip, and Philip says, uh, Philip says, show us the Father and it will, that'll be okay. We'll go. It'll suffice us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how shall you say then, show us the Father? Now he's not just saying that he's the Son. He's saying that I am God in the flesh. So Philip, what's your impression? How do you feel about that? How would you feel about How How would I feel about that? I'm telling you, it would bowl, you could knock me over with a feather. God here... In Jesus, God, this is God, not just the Son. He's not just the one that came down and God sent Him down as, as His Son. He sent Him down to do the work. But He is God in the flesh, Matthew one twenty three. So now then, the wise and prudent are going to say, you know, the God of heaven that created everything cannot be in this guy. Cannot be in Him. We've been with Him. We've seen Him. We know who He is. It cannot be. It just cannot be. And yet the believing heart, the innocent heart, opens itself and says, Lord, I believe. The babe will say that. The intellectual will say, it can't be. The wise and prudent will say, no way. That won't just won't work. But the believer says, Lord, we believe. And... Another instance, and uh, let's, let's go back. We're the 12 again. We're the 12 apostles, all of us. And we're going to go with Jesus. We've gotten word that, that he has a friend. He has three friends, actually, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, three young, young folks. And he's made friends, and he, he really likes this little family. And they get word that Lazarus, the boy, is sick. So... We tell Jesus, Jesus, uh, Lazarus is sick. Let's get over there. We know you can help them. We know. We, we feel like you've got the power to get over there and keep him from dying. And you know what Jesus told me? He said, no, I'm not going yet. He's, his death isn't... He, he's going to sleep. And I'm thinking, oh, that's good. If he sleeps, he gets better. You know, we're told if you get more sleep, you feel better. <laughs> and that's true, really. But... But they said, no. they said, well, that's all he's saying. And that wasn't it. Lazarus was dying. And, and of course, what happened was that Lazarus died. He actually died. And they put him in a tomb. And they wrapped him up. They did that, you know. Uh, they buried people immediately. They buried him right away. Just as soon as they died, they buried him. And then they mourned for one week. But he was dead. 
He was in the tomb. And on the way there, Jesus had to go see those girls because they were, they were friends. So on his way there, Mary stayed behind. She just was overwhelmed with grief. And Martha came running. She heard that Jesus was coming. And she came running out and she said, she said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said, calm down. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? He that lives and believes in me shall never die. Believe this? Martha, do you believe this? She said, yeah, Lord, I know at the resurrection he'll, he'll live. And yet Jesus went ahead and went to the tomb, and he called Lazarus out. And here we are trailing after him, watching. How do we feel? He walks into that tomb, walks up to the opening of the tomb, rolls a rock away, says, get out here, Lazarus, come on. Lazarus got up and came out. <laughs> wow. Well, that's, that's not all there is to the story. Basically, we're talking about things that actually overwhelm the intellect. What will overwhelm the intellect? For someone to tell me that I'm actually in the presence of the Son of God, that overwhelms my human intellect. It just, it just blows me away as an expression we have. And in addition to that, and I'm told not only is He Son of God, He is God, the Creator of everything. He is God in the flesh looking at me. And now then, He's telling me, and He's telling Martha, I'm Martha. He's saying, hey, don't worry, I am the resurrection of the life. No, no worries. Every, I go to a lot of funerals. I have been to a lot of funerals in my lifetime, and they're never fun. They're never, they're never enjoyable situations. Always, there's, there's always sadness, a cloud of sadness that overwhelms us. We just can't believe that someone that we love so dearly is gone. That's just, it just tears our heart out. And yet Jesus said, don't worry, because I will bring them back. Just don't worry about it. Now how could anyone, the, the, the intellectual snob is going to say, that can't happen. That will never happen. We're not, going to, we're not going to come back. There's not going to be a day of judgment. We're not going to go to a place called heaven. It's just not going to happen because it doesn't compute. But that's the wise and prudent that's that, their approach. The babe says, Lord, you said it. I believe it. Now, not only, Martha, did you go confront Jesus when your brother was dead and Jesus brought him back, and what a day that was, but Jesus himself was killed. He was put to death. And he went into the tomb. And you know who, who accompanied him? Now think about it. He went into the tomb by himself. And on Sunday morning, he came out of the tomb by himself. He, he conquered death. That's one of the big sticklers for the intellectual. It just could not happen. Because I did not see it myself. And I did not hear it myself. I didn't. I did. It takes faith 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Jesus said, blessed are those that even though they didn't see, yet believe in John chapter 20. So he's saying there's a group of people that are going to believe this, which is a mystery. God wrapped up his mystery in this man called Jesus. And he said, okay, come on out of the tomb, which he did. And now then, he is showing that he has power over death. Power over death. I've heard so many people tell me, I don't know how many, maybe you've been one of them. They said, you know, I died on the operating table. I was dead for five minutes. But they brought me back. That's wonderful. Another person says, I'm dead. I went into, I, had, I knew a kid that was drowned in a cold pool of water. He was gone for an hour. They got him out and re revived him, resuscitated him. There he was. What a great thing it was. You know, Jesus was dead for three days. Well, you say, we can't believe that. We just cannot, we're not going to believe that. That just can't happen. Well, I can believe that a kid could get cold enough that it would stop his blood circulating and, and kind of suspend everything. And that's why this business of cryogenics is so popular now that you're going to freeze everybody and bring them back some, at some future time because they think if you freeze everything, it just stops life and that life returns. Anyway, things like this come up all the time. But what happened to Jesus? You say, well, okay. He was on the cross and he just swooned. And when he came back, it was because there was a team of paramedics there close by. They got him down off the cross and they called a convention of all the, all the prominent physicians in the area. They followed him to the tomb and they worked feverishly over him. Three days later, they got him back. You know who that was? Joseph of Arimathea was one of the guys. He wasn't necessarily a prominent physician. And Nicodemus, he was just a ruler among the Jews. Two guys took him, put him in the tomb. Nobody saw him for three days. And then all of a sudden, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and he steps out. That, my friend, is a mystery. That is a mystery. There are more things I could talk about. But let's just talk about those three. Three great revelations of the mystery. Jesus is more. When we talk about Jesus, He's the mystery of God. God just wrapped everything in this small package. Dynamite. This small package. And he said, here is the mystery revealed. If you know my son, you know everything that I want you to know about me and about you. I put, him, I put it all in him. I've got it all in him. And one mystery is, he's my son. The next mystery is, I'm in him. I'm in him. You see him, you see me. And the third mystery is, you can't kill him and keep him dead. He's going to whip you, death. He's going, to, he, he's going to go into battle and he's going to come back. Those three great mysteries. Now when we talk about Jesus being the mystery, we're, we're talking about more than just putting his name up as a big name on a marquee somewhere. Jesus saves. We're not talking about something like that. Or posting on, on a highway sign or stamping bumper stickers or, 
or written on a baseball cap or on a t-shirt. Jesus is written in your heart by faith. So when we say knowing Jesus, we're not saying knowing about Jesus. We're saying knowing Jesus. You can know about someone, but until you know that person, you're not familiar with them. So my recommendation is, let him stun you. Let him stun you. Be a babe. Open your heart and say, Lord, I believe. God help you do that.